I come from a place where you get let down a lot mm-hmm. my, in my neighborhood. People around you was dying. We don't get told yes a lot. So that I was already ready for denial. But, and then when she told me, when she sent me the offer, I was the happiest I've been in my life, really. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. Greetings. I'm Renee Cordes with the Maine Biz Podcast team. Today, we'll hear from Martin Beavers of Soul Food Paradise, a restaurant serving dishes inspired by his African-American upbringing, from fried chicken to baked mac and cheese. A self-taught cook who grew up in the Bronx, Martin is here to talk about what it's been like to start a business, first out of his home, then at Fork Food Lab, a shared commercial kitchen and incubator space in Portland, and then landing a space at the Main Mall Food Court in South Portland. Martin, uh, welcome to our podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, so first of all, Martin, tell us a bit about your background. Where are you from and where you grew up? I'm from the Bronx, New York. I grew up about five blocks away from Yankee Stadium. And in in it's kind of a rough area where I grew up at. I grew up typically in the 90s. Uh, and during that time, it was, you know, it was a hard, hard time, you know, so, but it made me who I am today, so. And you were in quite a big family. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. So my mom, I, my mom had eight kids, so I got seven siblings running around. I'm I'm kind of the middle child. Most of my brothers and sisters, they're kind of older. Like my oldest sister, she's about 45. So, you know, I'm kind of the baby out of the family. And I got a little brother and a little sister as well. But we kind of babies compared to the older ones. I see. And your mom, she she raised you on her own, right? So it sounds like she had her hands full. My mother and my father split when I was younger. So we used to go see my father on the weekends. And then the day-to-day, we was with my mom. So she had help, you know, in that aspect. And my father also, he kind of played a role in my brother's and sister's lives also because of the relationship they ha- he had with them. So he also helped, you know, in that aspect. And I also had a stepfather growing up. He, you know, he, he was like a father figure to me. The best of both worlds. We had a father, in the, a father figure in the house and then outside of the house as well. But it was hard. Eight kids, two-bedroom apartment. It was, it was hard. Right. And I remember you telling me your, your mother cooked, cooked meals every day. That was very important to her, even though she was working full time. Tell us about that. Yeah. So every, every single day, my mother would cook. She cooked breakfast and dinner. When, when we, we woke up, my mother didn't allow us to sleep late. So <laughs> even on a weekend, we had to wake up. It was always something that we had to do. We, it, whether It was cleaning, helping prep the food in the morning. You know, in the mornings when we got up to get ready for school, she had, she was cooking breakfast. She had it done by the time it was time for us to go out and time for her to go to work. Everything was done. She actually started making dinner while she was making breakfast as well. So by the time we got home from school and she got home from work, dinner was kind of done. She used to cook dinner while she was at work. I don't know how she did it. She knew the temperatures on what to set things at and it was done by the time we got from got from work or from uh, school. Everything was cooked. 
that was pretty amazing. And did you guys appreciate it at that time? I mean, at that time, no. <laughs> <laughs> we was just kids and we was just mad. And like, you know, we was like, we didn't want to do anything. We didn't help want to help peel the potatoes. We didn't want to help go to the store. See, one thing about us too is we was going to, we were sent to the store at, at a very early age. So mm -hmm. when I was in third grade, I was going to the store and going. By the time I was in fifth grade, I was a pro shopper shopping at the supermarket. They already knew who we were. And she gave us a list. When we got something wrong, she sent us back to the store to correct it. And she'll give us $10 and go, I need this, this, and that. Make it work. And that's how we, I learned how to bargain shop, too. Wow, that's amazing. Very important skills to have. And Martin, tell us about some of your favorite meals, like some of your favorite dinners that your, your mom cooked that you remember. So my favorite was always macaroni and cheese. I always loved it. So my family, like my grandmother, she always used to make me my own pan of mac and, mac and cheese. That was my go-to. Mac and cheese, I loved it. I could eat it every day. My, my family grew up real big on seafood, though. Okay. My mom used to put, she used to get a big table. She used to put uh, crab legs, Maryland crabs, and she used to feed the neighborhood. But me, I didn't eat seafood at all. It was crazy. Awesome. Yeah, I did not eat seafood. I used to waste it, acting like I was down until one day she found out and I got I got a whooping because <laughs> I used to grab the crabs and act like I was going to eat it, but I used to throw it away. And then I'll grab another one when I was younger. And then she was like, you know, we out here trying to feed people. You over here wasting food. She didn't like that. I can understand that. And And Martin, tell me, what was the first meal that you ever cooked? The first meal I ever cooked was a meatloaf. I was about maybe 15 years old, I believe, 13 to 15 years old, I made a meatloaf. My mom wasn't, she was at work. I was experimenting in the kitchen. And when I made it, I was so hyped. I ran downstairs. We had some, my mom lived in the same building for almost 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And we had another family that lived downstairs from us. They lived in the building for over 60 years. You know, there was a, there was the grand, there was a grandmother. She was kind of older. She had a whole bunch of kids too and grandkids. So we used to, everybody in the neighborhood thought we was cousins. So I ran downstairs to go grab them. I'm like, hey, yo, look, I made, I cook, I cook. And I had everybody come upstairs and try my meatloaf for the first time. Everybody yeah. liked it, but we was, when I think about back, it wasn't good. How did it turn out? It, 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 at that time, I thought it turned out good. <laughs> Very I, good. And did you follow a recipe or were you doing it from memory? I did it just from kind of memory. Like at that time, we wasn't, Really, it wasn't like we would go to YouTube for everything at that back then. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I just did it from just learning, seeing my mom do it. Wow. And, and that's kind of how I went about it. Cool. And what, what did you want to be uh, when you grew up? Like, you know, when you were, what did young Martin envision himself for becoming when, when he grew up? When I was really, really young, I used to want to be a pastor in a church. My mother used to, Instilled church in us real young when we was young. We, I was in a missionary. I was in a choir. I was an usher. We had to do a lot. And, but as I got older, that kind of changed. Mm -hmm. But one rule my mother had growing up is as we became teenagers, in order to live in her house, we had to go to church at least once a month. Oh, okay. So we don't got to go every Sunday, but you had to go once a month. So when I was real young, that's kind of kind of what I wanted. But as I got older, I kind of started switching. I, I being a cook or being a chef, or that, that was not in my mind at all. So as I got older, 
I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. So let's now, Martin, fast forward to uh, when you moved to Maine. I think that was in 2018. Yeah. What what brought you to Maine? You you were in Bro- the Bronx at the time. How did Maine get on your radar? So my dad lived in Maine for about 10 years. So he'd been in Maine for quite some time. I never came to Maine to visit him because he used to always come to New York. So I finally came out to visit him in about 2014. He used to always tell me, you know, come to Maine, come to Maine, you know, come out here. You know, you should live out here, get yourself together. At that time, I wasn't doing nothing. I wasn't taking anything serious. I wasn't really doing nothing with my life. So I decided to, you know, come out. And that's what got me to Maine. I see. And then what, Martin, did you do initially when you came here? When I first got here, I applied to, I started working at Motel 6. So I was working at Motel 6. I was making ten ninety five an hour. Uh, I was an overnight audit. I was doing that. I was excited with the job because I was actually doing something and working. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I started to see the different things that I couldn't do. You know, and you had a few different jobs after that, I believe, right? Yeah. After that, I went to, I started working at Delta and in the main jet port. That was one of my favorite jobs that I ever had, though. I, I loved the job. I had flight benefits. I liked everything about the job. I liked interacting with the people. I liked everything about it. But they only paid $11. So I went from ten ninety five to making like $0.10 cent more. It wasn't that not, much Not much money. of an increase. Yeah. But I loved the job. And then mm-hmm. while I was working there, I got an offer on Indeed because I had my resume up. I had an offer to work for Maine Medical. So right. Maine Medical, I was doing billing follow-up and working with the coding billing department. And that was a good job. Sounds interesting. And then Martin, tell me about when you, what started thinking about doing food. I know it started as, as a hobby, right? Yeah, so food. When I was about 15, I started working for my grandmother and she had a daycare center. She owned a daycare center. So I was doing everything. I was floating around and, but I used to mostly work in the kitchen and that's where I kind of started really learning a lot. But at the same time, you know, I wasn't big on it. When I turned 18 years old, I got my first apartment. I was the first guy in my neighborhood at my age to get my own apartment. So I used to, I was stupid. I used to have the whole neighborhood come into my apartment and have parties. But the big thing that I was on was cooking. So I used to mm-hmm. cook. I used to cook for the whole neighborhood and I would bring the grill out, grill for the whole neighborhood and just have the neighborhood come and I used to just cook. And I loved the way people liked my food. Mm-hmm. And for my recipes, I just called my mother. I called my sister. How you do this? How you do this? And that's how I got into really liking to cook. And I just kept improving my skills from there. And what kind of things did you cook? At that time, oh, I used to cook a bunch of stuff. I used to cook seafood broils, baked ziti, uh, lasagnas, of course, meatloaf. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I used to just cook all different types. I used to go into, um, out of my comfort zone, I used to try to cook like Chinese food, general toast chicken, sesame chicken. I used to try a little bit of everything. Like I used to do Asian food. I used to mix the Asian food with the soul food. In the Bronx, we grew up with a lot of Spanish people. So we grew up with a lot of uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican. So a lot of their spices, I used to infuse in my food because that's how I grew up learning how to cook also from my friends' mothers and 
their aunts and stuff like that. So I used to infuse their spices with our spices as well. Very cool. Very cool. And so then at what point did you start to think of, you know, making a business for yourself out of food? I had, I did an internal transfer in Maine Medical and I started doing this uh, surgery tech job in Maine Medical. Basically, we used to do, deal with the instruments for surgery and it was a lot. It was a good career job. Mm-hmm. And one day I got with my fiance and I used to cook all the time for her and her family. And they was like, yo, you need to take this serious. Like, well, why don't you try to sell this food? Like, and I was like, I'll try it. But, you know, I don't even, at this time, I didn't really know anybody in Maine. Right. So I said, forget it, I'll try it. So I started from my house. I, I posted a thing on social media, like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, soul food. And then I had my fiance posted it. I had her sister post it. And the first day that I did it, I sold over 25 plates of food at about $20, $15 a plate, $20 for delivery. So I made a little profit. And at the same time, I'm working. But while I'm at work, my phone is always blowing up. People trying to get plates. My social media is going out of control. Uh, my following went crazy. And I just started taking it serious. I quit my job and I started selling food for my house. And it went from me selling 25 plates to me selling 100, 150 to me doing catering for people out of my house. Uh, I used to pull up to the mall at the main mall and I used to sell food. I used to be like, I used to make a post. I'll be at the main mall at three o'clock and then everybody will meet me at three o'clock at the mall or by Buffalo Wild Wings. It was crazy. Wow. And, and, how did you do this all as one person from Hope Kitchen? I just, I don't know. I just woke I I woke up very early every single day. I woke up five o'clock in the morning and I started cooking. I used to go, I started doing my shopping the day before or the night at that night. But what I did was I started develop, I started to get a little bit more smart. So I started to do online orders. So now I would, I would do everything online the night before. And everything will be ready for me to pick up around six, seven o'clock from Walmart or from Sands Club. And I will go straight home and I will cook everything. And what the blessing was, I met this guy. He owns, it's called Sirloins now, but it used to be called Countryside Butchers in Scarborough. And he, he was, it was a, it's a butcher shop. And I used to go there all the time and I found real good deals on the meat. So I used to buy cases of meat from him. And he was like, why are you buying these cases? And I told him what I was doing. And he stuck with me and he helped me. He said, I like what you're doing. And he used to give me real good deals on meat. And he helped me out a lot. And to this day, he gives me great prices. And, and, and we developed a real good relationship. Wow. And where was your house, Mark? Where were you um, running this business? So at this time, I was living in South Portland, right uh, by the mall area. So it got to the point where there was so much traffic coming to my house for people to pick up plates that they send us a notice, like, oh, we're getting complaints about the traffic. And then we got more, they called us and it was like, at first we thought you guys were selling drugs. <laughs> <laughs> then we saw seeing people coming out with plates in their hand and sitting in their car eating. It was one time the drive-through, the driveway looked like a drive-through. <laughs> kind of my, my landlord got tired of it. And basically what he did was he told us we couldn't renew our lease. We had three more months 
and until I at least respire. And that's what hit me. That's when it hit me. Like, you know what? I can't keep doing this forever. I do have to take this more seriously. And that's when I started to try to pursue my business. But I didn't know how to start. I didn't know what to do. Then at some point you connected with the uh, Fork Food Lab, uh, which is, for people who don't know, a shared commercial kitchen and food business incubator. I think that was in summer of 2021. So how did you connect with them? I was just on Google looking around for a commercial kitchen. So then I contacted Fork and then this lady named Corinne, she's the general manager at Fork. She told me to come in. Yeah. I spoke to her and from there, she just, it just went. She taught me how to get my license in, how to get my LLCs, how to get my EIN set up, how to get my food. And she taught me how to do everything. I didn't know nothing. She just walked with me. She was very patient. And she walked with me. So once I got everything, all the licensing and everything that I needed, that's when I went, I was supposed to go open up at Fork. At Fork, most people, they cook and they place a menu up and then you can order from them and you have a day where you go pick it up. So it'd be like, place your order today, you'll pick it up next week. Right. And this was, of course, still during the pandemic when, you know, people were yeah. doing mainly takeout. Yeah, so this is during a pandemic, mainly takeout. And so they had this room called the tasting room where, where the people that was catering, say if you catering a wedding, they would have the people come and you would taste the food and you pick out which item you, you want at your wedding. Right. They wasn't using, using the room because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I essentially just went and said, hey, can I run my restaurant out of here? And... They never did it before. They was like, we got to get it approved. We don't know. Yeah. So the the director of uh, Fork, his name is Bill, Bill Serretta. Right. He was like, you know what? It's just a good idea because they did need at the time, because it's a nonprofit. I just, so they needed to show that mm-hmm. they was helping these businesses. And so we, we came to an agreement. I can use their, I can use the, the tasting room, but I had to use their POS system. Just so those, so I agreed to that. And when I, I went out and bought all these shaping dishes and had to set up and set up my little restaurant, they had like a little bar that I pushed this bar up to there and used that as my counter. And I set up these, these ropes on the outside because it was COVID like six feet apart if you was online. Mm-hmm. And then I started marketing and posted it on my social media. First day I opened, sell out. Amazing. Amazing. So you already, you know, had had your following, of course. And Martin, let's just walk back a second because the, the, you named your business Soul Food Paradise. So tell us what inspired that name and, and what Soul Food is. Yeah. So uh, at first I was look, trying to find a catchy name. Like I was looking at because they got like famous restaurants in Atlanta, like this bees and I'm from the, I'm from New York. So we got like Sylvia's and Amy Ruth's and all these nice. I'm like, oh, let me, I need a name like that. But then when I started to really think about it, I said, I need people to know this is what we have because we don't have anything like this in Maine. Mm-hmm. So I need people to know that this is Soul Food. So I, I had to put Soul Food in the name. So I said, forget the catchy name. I have to put Soul Food in the name because people, I want people to know that this is what we have. Soul Food is traditionally African-American cuisine from the South. So during slavery times, the slaves was fed parts of the animal that the, the owners didn't eat. So that's where you get the hog mug and the pig feet and the black eyed peas and stuff like that, the neck bone. 
stuff like that. So what they did was they took that and made it into something great. So they, they was able to take certain spices from Africa and they took that, but when, when they gave them the neck bone, they was, and, but at the time they would, people were serving collard greens, but they wasn't serving collard greens how they was doing it now. Uh, but what the Africans did was they took the collard greens with the neck bones that they was being fed and they simmered that in with the neck bones. And that's why we got the collard greens that we got today. Mac and cheese, Thomas Jefferson actually had a slave. They had chefs. I didn't know that. And I did my research and I found that out. Mm-hmm. That, uh, they actually had slave chefs and that the, the slave owners used to go to Europe. And that's when the mac and cheese was created out here. Um, Amazing. It was, I did not know there was a European influence. I believe it was people from fry, the fried chicken came from Ireland. So when the, a lot of people came, it was a time where all these people from Ireland came here mm-hmm. and they used to do fried chicken, but they didn't bread it. And when the African-Americans got a hold of it, we used to use a lot of cornmeal because we had corn, that's cornbread and right. all this so they took the cornmeal and breaded the chicken with their spices and fried it. And that's kind of how fried chicken came about. Amazing. And this, of course, is all on your menu. You've got fried chicken and mac and cheese and collard greens, right? Yeah. And then I got candy yams, which is in Africa, the yam, a, a real yam is is a brown vegetable. When you cut it, it's white inside. Mm-hmm. But because in America, they didn't have that, but they had the sweet potatoes. So we call it candy yams because we're just going back to that old yam. But the sweet potato was the closest thing to a yam. So we still call it candy yams. Interesting. And, and Ron, did you win a mac and cheese competition early on too at Fork Food Lab? Yeah. So we, uh, in Portland, they had these awards for best, best restaurant, best coffee place. So I won the award for best mac and cheese for the city of Portland. I was also nominated for Best New Restaurant, and I wasn't even in a restaurant yet. I was out of Fork Lab. <laughs> and I also was nominated for, uh, I think, Best New Chef. It was something else. It was three categories. Just racking up those words left and right before you even had a restaurant. So so when you were running this business, you were looking for permanent restaurant space, right, uh, outside of Fork Food Lab. Before I got into Fork Food Lab, mm-hmm. while I was in the process, I also was looking for restaurants. So there's this restaurant in South Portland called Caribbean. I was supposed to have that restaurant, but the broker, we signed the, like a leather, letter of intent. We was going through with everything. But last minute, the broker backed out on me and he gave it to the people that's there now. But everything happened for a reason because I felt like if I didn't go the way that I went, I don't think things would be going as well for me. I, because being in the fork, fork actually promoted me and, you know, marketed me and I was actually able to be in the Down East magazine. Right. I was in um, the Portland Press Herald a few times and that kind of helped me because I needed that exposure. Sure. And it also helped me because I was in there with sh- different chefs that knew things that I didn't know. So they was teaching me different ways and tips, different things, how to do different ways, how to do stuff. So that's kind of what helped me too. So everything happened for a real reason. I'm glad that you know, it happened. And so I know one day you noticed that we were driving past the main mall and saw that there was a vacancy sign. You probably weren't looking there, but what went through your head when you saw that sign? Yeah. So 
what happened, I, the first time I seen the sign, I was in the main mall and I seen the sign that says release. So I took a picture of it and I didn't think nothing of it. Fast forward a month later, I'm driving past. I see this big billboard out for release. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try to, you know, let me call them and see what's going on. Because I'm thinking, why would they allow me in there? You know, they were only allow because you think of, they got, Panda Express and Saku, all these big chains, a models, which is a main chain, you know. So I was like, you know, well, let me just call. So I called, I spoke to this lady named Rochelle, and she's the general manager at the mall. I spoke to her for about five minutes, and we had a plan to meet within the next three days. So I I go over there and I meet her, and basically she asked me, like, why, why should Soul Food be in the mall? And I just broke it down. Why not? You know, we got, why shouldn't American food be in American malls? You know, whatever mall you go to, you got your, your Mexican cuisine. You got your Asian cuisine. You, it's usually multiple Asian cuisines. You always have pizza. You always have a burger. But what about, you know, what about, what about the Southern food? What about the real food? I'm like, you know, why not? You know, and I said also, it would show diversity, you know, bringing in, you know, a black, the only black owned restaurant in there. You, you should, you know, I think it would show that the mall is open to, you know, black businesses and local businesses. And that's how it went. And she told me, you know, I got to talk to, you know, the supervisor or corporate. And within the next two weeks, I got an offer. And so... Take us back to what was your reaction when, when you got that offer? You know, I'm like, this is not going to happen. You know, this whole time I was doubting it, but at the same time I was praying, I was like, yo, if, you know, if this happens for me, then I could change the life of, you know, my family and myself. I come from a place where you get let down a lot mm -hmm. in my neighborhood. People around you was dying. We don't get told yes a lot. So that, I was already ready for denial. But, and then when she told me, you know, when she sent me the offer, I was the happiest I've been in my life, really. I'm sure. And then you what, you called your mother right away, right? And told her the news. What did you tell her? I, as soon as I called my mother, I said, I said, Ma, we're about to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been some phone call. Yeah, my mother was laughing at me and we was just laughing about it. And I said, Ma, we're about to be rich. She's like, you know, she's like, make sure you know what you're doing. You know, you don't want that rush into it and I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna put everything I got into it. And and then I went to the people at Fork and I was telling them and and they was excited about it as well. Yeah, sure. And certainly exciting and unexpected for you. So Martin, we're now just gonna take a short break and then we'll continue with the story and how it's been at the Main Mall Food Court. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank and may lose value. When we first opened, I didn't have any more money. I had about $17. I was backed up on rent about three, four months. I was backed up on my car note. Everything that I had, I put it into the mall. 
We are back talking to Martin Beavers of Soul Food Paradise. Martin was just telling us what it was like to get a spot at the Main Mall Food Court and sharing that exciting news with his mom back home. So let's find out what happened next. So Martin, I believe you signed a lease for that space for three years. Is that right? Yeah. So it used to be Arby's. I signed for uh, three years. That's correct. And what was it expensive? You know, was anything growing through your head like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Oh, man, it was crazy. So when I came in, it was like, okay, I was still, I was still working. I was still doing my thing at Flow. I was still doing caterings. I was still doing everything because I knew I needed the money. So once okay. I got it, I, I, I paid for my first month rent and I paid for everything that I need to pay for. So once I got into the mall and I got the keys and I walked in and I said, okay, Let's get this done. Like I said, this is my first time. This is my first rodeo. I didn't know. I had to go through the licenses and everything over again. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a bricks and mortar. I kind of knew that part of it, but it was more to it now. So now I had to get building permits. And, you know, that was the hard part. Then the way Arby's left the place was crazy. It was a mess. So it took me a lot of cleaning. It took me two weeks, three weeks of just cleaning and scrubbing. Wow. You know, I had to put, spend a lot of money on cleaning supply. I had to spend a lot of, I had to install new sinks. I had to install a new floor in, in a, in a walk-in cooler because the floor was so degraded. Was it a scary thing, Martin, to, you know, make this commitment for three years? Cause you didn't know what to expect. The world was still, you know, in a pandemic. You yeah. Were, I was, you know, your other business. I was definitely scared. I didn't know what, the, what was going to happen, especially with all the competition in the mall and outside of the mall. Because essentially, in South, in South, that part of South Portland, being in the mall, you got you got the competition in the mall. So you got a Panda Express, Sarku, Amados, the Philly Cheese. So you got big competition there. Then outside of the mall, you have McDonald's, Burger King, Popeye's, there's, so you had a competition, not with the local, but with chains. And what most people do is when they're hungry, they don't go to local. They go to chains because it's quicker, it's fast, and they know it. So me coming into there with nobody know who I am, it was kind of scary. Even to this day, I have people that now they they they, they come and they stand online and, and they look and be like, mm, no, I'm, I'm going to try you another time. Because some people are scared to try new things. But we also have a lot of people that are standing on lines and they get tired of it. And they came over from Panda Express and I got people that say, I'm never eating that again. I'm only eating this, you know. Tell us, how did the, your first day of business go? And I think that was then in August of 2021. Yeah, that was in August. The first day was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so the first day, um, we got everything prepped, everything ready to go. So now it's time to cook everything, get everything ready. The ovens didn't work. <laughs> so one oven didn't go up to temperature. And then the other oven, it took forever. We didn't even know what was what was going on. So we were supposed to be opening and we didn't, we were supposed to open at 1030. We didn't open until two o'clock. Yikes. And so, did you do any business then once the oven was working? Did you get any contact? Yeah, we definitely did business. When we first opened, I didn't have any more money. I had about $17. I was backed up on rent about three, four months. 
I was backed up on my car note. Everything that I had, I put it into the mall. I was like, you know what? Everything is going on hold. Everything. I, I didn't pay my cell phone bill. I didn't do anything. So when that happened with the ovens, I was kind of flustered. You know, I was kind of like, oh, man. I was able to contact these people, and they came out, like, the next day. Like, they came out, like, the same day. It was like an emergency, and they fixed the ovens. So the next day, we was up full-blown, and we did real good. Wow. And what, what was the, you know, what was it like to be the, the new kid on the block, if you will, and the only independent operator and the only, you know, black business owner in the food courts? We got welcomed with open arms by some of the people that was just some of the owners. Well, not some, some people, like some of the managers that run the other spots, we got welcomed with under open arms and they actually helped us, helped us out a lot. We developed a real good relationship with some of the people there, especially like the people at, at the Philly Cheese Place. We help each other out. You know, if I run out of something or we run out of something, they got us. Mm-hmm. So kind of the food court is kind of like a, essentially a family thing too. Mm-hmm. Like when people, you see people walking around to other people's restaurants, like, hey, you got for you? Or hey, yo, I ran out of paper towel. You got this? Or, you know, and we help each other in that aspect. So it's kind of we, everybody's in there doing a job and everybody's in there making money. But at the same time, everybody's in there kind of helping each other too. When I when people run out of ice, they come to my restaurant and grab some ice or stuff like that. When we hungry, we don't we don't charge this person for the food, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a family oriented thing as well. And how did business go from there? I, I assume things got better after the day one uh, mishaps. Yeah, it took it took a while to get general rotation. Like we didn't, as far as knowing how much food to cook. We was undercooking a lot. We was overcooking a lot. We was... You mean in terms of quantity? Quantity, yeah. Also, we didn't know our mac and cheese. So with our mac and cheese, we bake our mac and cheese. We don't we don't bake a bunch of mac and cheese for the day, no. We bake it like we bake one, we put it in the front. Once that one get halfway, we bake another one. So we keep our mac and cheese fresh coming out. So at that time... We didn't know, like, we was late on the mac and cheese. Like, we was running out of mac and cheese. We got a whole line of people wanting mac and cheese. They waiting for mac and cheese. Oh, my God, tell them 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, you know. So we had to get that process going with the mac and cheese. We learned that fried chicken is, uh, when you get a line, fried chicken. That's it. You get a line, fried chicken. That's it. Because that was the hard part. We didn't know that at first. Um. Okay. And what happens, Martin, when there's not a line, you know, on the slow days? Is that also, is that distressing when you don't see a line? It was crazy because during the the end of the summer into the holidays, it was always busy. Mm -hmm. January hit and it went to a standstill. Ah. So you essentially went to, from, we we were serving 200 customers a day, sometime more on a weekend. It went from that to a serving maybe 40. Ah, that's a big difference. But you still have your employees that you have to pay. I was big on not cutting hours. You still had your rent. Your rent didn't change. Nothing changed, but your, the, the money slowed up. And that kind of hurt us at that time because we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So our food cost was high. The amount we was playing our employees was high. And I came in, I paid my employees $16.50. That's kind of more than everybody else at the mall pay. 
And and kind of, Courtney, is there enough sort of traffic at the mall for, you know, to sustain your business long-term? Because I know people have been shopping less during the pandemic, shopping more online. You know, is there any risk factor for, for you there in, you know, being dependent on sort of mall traffic? I came from Fork Food Lab and I came from my home. So I came from marketing myself. Mm-hmm. So while I'm in the mall, I market myself. Every single day I'm posting online. I'm doing things for the community. I hire, I, I, I even, you know, hire these homeless guys that needed jobs. Oh. I do give, I do giveaways. I do all time, I do mac and cheese giveaways. I do family giveaways. I do Sunday dinner giveaways. I cater. So I try to keep it, my, my, I try to keep myself relevant outside of the mall. Cause I don't want to just be another mall food, a uh, mall restaurant. I want to okay. engage with the community. And Martin, do you expect to be at the mall long-term or what are your plans? Would you ever envision having a standalone restaurant as well? So my vision is I will. So I would stay at the mall, but I will mm-hmm. essentially I may have a main location brick and mortar, which would be a main location because I have a concept that I want, you know, basically last in, in Fork Lab, I had an event and we had a barbecue and fish fry event. So it was bring your own chair. So basically in my neighborhood, like I said, I used to bring out the grill and cook out for my family and cook out for my friends. So everybody had to bring their own chair and we used to sit in the neighborhood and cook. So that's what I kind of a concept that I brought into Fork. I had an event there was bring your own chair and all you can eat. So I brought out the fish fry, a big up the big fryer. We fry catfish outside. We put the food on the grill. We put shaped in dishes outside with the sides. And it was all you can eat. And you just had to bring your own chair and we made it like kind of a cookout. And that's kind of the vibe that I want for my restaurant, like on a Sunday. On a Sunday, you know, you can come after church or come. So I want to bring back the tradition of Sunday dinner where you could come to my restaurant on a nice Sunday. We outside on a nice sunny day. We're frying fish. We got uh, the grill going. We got music going. And you just... You're at a cookout. Basically, you're at a family cookout. But that's the, the kind of the concept that I want to bring to my brick and mortar, a family cookout on, on a, during the, you know, summertime. I think you're making everybody hungry. Martin, how is business going now? Oh, uh, yeah, business is going great. So the mall has this, we know the waves now. We know when it's going to be a little less busy. We know when it's going to be real busy. And now that that is heating up, it's starting to get a little bit more busy. So Business is going good. Um, everything's going great. Now we we kind of, that's why we, we have these other restaurants in there. Like I said, we build a relationship with them. So coming in, we ask them like, hey, how do you think this week is going to be? And they'll let us know like, tomorrow's going to be busy because of the rain. Or this is going to be this because of this. So, you know, people have been there for over 20 years, so they know. Right. And now that you're an experienced entrepreneur, you know, any lessons you want to share? What have you learned? so far about running a food business the things i learned is one whatever you whatever you got your mind and heart is set on do it because the only thing that can happen is it won't happen if you don't try it then it won't happen but if you try it and it does happen and it failed try it again Mm -hmm. at least you try you know like i said i never thought that i would be in this position but as long as you try and you continue to try and try and try anything is possible don't let nobody tell you no. Take no for an answer. When I came into the mall, there was, it was there was another African American guy. He used to work in the mall, and I was I was telling him I was like, yo, you know, we opening a soul food restaurant here, and he so he, he told me 
he told me straight up, he looked in my face and said, it's not going to work. <laughs> and I said, I said, why not? Like, why do you think that? He was like, there's no demographic for that. You know, we don't, you know. And I said, listen, I've seen these people, I've seen people in Maine go down and march for George Floyd. And I've seen that these the people in Maine, they uh, basically stand up for people's rights out here. Uh, it's freedom of speech out here. Everybody is supportive. You can be who you are, you know, and that's what happened since I opened my business. It had been nothing but love and people embraced it. So no matter what people say, you just have to do it. What so, keeps you motivated on the, the, the difficult days, the slow days, or, you know, like when your oven breaks down, how do you keep yourself motivated? I look at back, I look back at where I was and look and see where I'm at. I was cooking out of my house, you know? Right with an oven that only fit two pans, you know? <laughs> and I made, made enough food for 100 people. I made it work with what I had. Mm-hmm. So I still, if my oven break down at my restaurant, I make it work with what I had, you know? And I look at where I came from. I came from the Bronx. I came from people around me getting killed. I came from people around me doing drugs. I came from, you know, a lot of that. So when I look at where I'm at, now I'm, I'm a restaurant owner. I'm a business owner. I take care of people. I feed people families. I feed my family. My mom is proud of me. My dad is proud of me. My brothers and sisters is proud of me. I'm taking care of them. I'm helping them. My kids is is good. So I look at where I'm at and that's what helped me continue to go because I don't want to go back. And and if I ever have to, if anything ever stops with this, I'm going to do something else and I'm going to make it work. You know, it's like, I'm never going to stop doing great. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. The MainBiz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the Main Biz Podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.